Hello everybody and welcome back to episode 16 of Pigskins and Nylon. Today is our Big Ten College Football Season Preview Show. I'm Wally Lukashinsky and I'm joined once again by my great friends and co-host Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Guys, we are fired up. Football is almost here. We're nine days away as we record this. It's been way too long. We've spent a lot of time here in the last couple weeks preparing for this show and we're very happy to be spending it with you. Guys, I have to ask, first of all, what is your favorite part of the first Saturday of college football? Oh, man, I've got to go. That's a great question. I don't know. The the first, I mean, the first kick, is that just the easiest answer? Just to say the first kickoff, that's my favorite part. But uh, so when you were asking that, I kind of, the first thing that I went to, one of my favorite things about like college football Saturdays is going to like a McDonald's and just getting that breakfast smell, that coffee smell, because some of my best memories are for like heading up to a game or down to a game and it being like 6 a.m. and getting some McDonald's. So it's a little, it's a little thought there, but <laughs> what about you, Hayden? That's a, that's a great point, Casey. I remember when you used to have a uh, fish filet routine of getting one every, every Saturday for the Michigan game. But I actually, I think the best part is like the the build up to kickoff. Like Casey said, like the you know the actual foot hitting the ball. But I I think it's the build up from like nine until eleven forty five. Like that time, I feel like is just magical. No, Hayden, I I used to be that way, but anymore, like I don't watch any pregame shows. I don't do anything like that. I used to be, you know, 9, 9 a.m. came. I was watching game day for three hours. But now I'm, like, trying to do something, trying to distract myself until... You're, you're being like an 11, adult. You're being an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Until, like, 11.50, and then I'll sit down. Man, I used to love game day back in the day. I have not reached that point in my life where I am an adult and have to do stuff on Saturday morning. So, don't know. I think that's the goal for me is to never be that grown up on Saturday mornings. I kind of have a mix of both of you guys' feelings where that nostalgic feeling when you were little is like a really cool thing. So like the fish filet in the mornings for Casey. And then meanwhile, like what I think about, especially for that first Saturday of the year, is that like Hayden said, you wake up early, but it's not a you wake up and you're miserable for waking up early. You're fired up. It's like a kid on Christmas morning when you're little opening gifts. You wake up early, you get to watch college game day, and now Fox kickoff, whatever they call it. You open that beer at 8.45 in the morning. You get that, like, nervous excitement. And then there's, like, an Iowa-Northwestern ESPN2 game to start off the college football year. And you know there's even bigger games throughout the day. It's just, it really is a special day for, for people like the three of us. And I think the people at home probably have their own. So feel free to share those to us. But, hey. We're going to jump, I guess, right into our topics first. Get those out of the way before we give you the season preview part of this. We're going to start with the big, or at least bigger news this last week. The Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 are discussing an alliance. Feels like Survivor. We're talking like a, a reality night TV show when you hear the word alliance. What do you guys think that could look like? And do you think that this is something that the Big Ten needs to do to kind of combat the SEC? I kind of do feel like they need to do something like we talked about before. I think Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC is huge. Wally, you and I disagreed with Hayden. Hayden, I believe you didn't think the Big Ten needed to make 
drastic changes, right? If I, if I remember correctly, I I personally do. So I think them finally doing something about it is a good thing. From what I remember about the story, they were just talking about like connecting and having like regular season games, right? That's that's what they were talking about, not like joining a conference together. So I I mean that's great. Bigger games on the schedule, hopefully. I don't think it's 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 definitely not a bad thing. It definitely can't hurt. I don't know. I I think having those if they could get it to where they have regular non-conference games, you know, obvious like an alliance. I know that's what we're talking about. But if they can get that so it's regular, I think that would be a net positive for all three leagues, really. Bro, could you imagine like Ohio State and Clemson playing in the regular season? Like one one team gets a home game. That that would be pretty crazy. That that would be electric until we find out it's a big noon kickoff and then we're all just pissed. Great point. Yeah, I don't want to be seeing Ohio State come out at like eleven thirty for the run out on the field for the Clemson kickoff, and then at night we'd end up seeing something like Mississippi State Auburn. No one wants that. But what I will say is I was a little confused when you hear about the stories about the SEC telling Florida State and Clemson you know what, maybe we'll revisit this down the road, but right now we're very comfortable where we are. Because if you brought in a school like Clemson the way they are right now, talk about a stranglehold on the other four major Power Five conferences. Like, what do you do? So, like, an alliance like this, I think it's going to be a missed opportunity for the SEC to basically monopolize college football. Because I think if you brought them in, they would be the card, like, holder forever. They have the big-name schools the Ohio State, Michigans of the world, winning the Big Ten doesn't really feel like it matters if you bring in teams like Florida State and Clemson as well. So having an alliance like this, not only does it work out, I think, best for college football fans, if you're one of the other four Power Five schools right now, or Power Five conferences, you got to be just thanking your lucky stars that the Big Ten, with how much money's in there, is entertaining all of this instead of trying to go the every-man-for-themselves conference approach. I absolutely agree with that, Wally. Good point. Well, let's jump over. We're going to be quick with the topics today, again, because we have a lot to dissect before we get into the season preview aspect. But first, there is some news coming out this week. Out of Nebraska, Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers are under NCAA investigation. Reports are that Nebraska under head coach Scott Frost may have broken NCAA rules by improperly using analysts during practices and games. Frost could face his suspension, and who knows, maybe that just spells the end. He's already seemingly on the hot seat. When you guys first read this, I, I guess, first of all, does it feel like to you guys the same way it does to me that this is being made a bigger deal than what I guess I think it should be? I think so. I think the NCAA button their heads in there are just, I mean, I don't know what the point is. I think Nebraska could literally tell them to go screw off and they were like nothing would happen. You know what I'm saying? The NCAA is a joke now. Nobody takes them serious or whatever. And I find it interesting that this story came because they were told that they have footage, right? And they had footage that was leaked by somebody on the Nebraska staff or, you know, or an athlete told somebody who went to the higher up. Like this was an in- internal thing that just climbed up the ladder to a point where like they had to get it investigated. Basically. I I just think it's a way for Nebraska to kind of get rid of frost. In my opinion, I first heard about this actually 
Casey sent us a text in the in the group chat, and I was like, what is he talking about? So I had to look it up. I don't know. I, this is a complete joke to me. I'm, I, I don't really think it matters at all. Nick Saban has... 12 analysts on his on his team and you're telling me that he's not they're not doing any sort of coaching or anything during practice give me a break like Casey said I, I think this is a way for I think I was reading that it's a, a way for Nebraska to get out of the buyout of Scott Frost's contract if they chose to do it that way so I don't know I, I can't imagine if I was a Nebraska fan I think I'd be pissed because this really has no impact on anything considering every other school is probably doing the same thing wasn't the major issue here that it was during covid too he was having practices that that like they weren't allowed to have or yeah. was I so one of the reports but it's not clear right now if the NCAA is investigating this aspect of the allegations but one of the reports was that basically during covid there was to be no non-sanctioned practices and there's rumors that Nebraska held off-campus practices at whether that be a high school or whether that be a gym or whatever. But yeah, that's what the reports are. But it's not clear right now if that is also in the investigation. Just wait until we find out that 100 other teams were doing the same exact thing. I mean, <laughs> like, seriously. Well, that's the thing for me right now when you look at this, that I'm really trying to take the Big Ten glasses off because... Whether it's fair or not, you know how Big Ten fans are. We have these victim like goggles on all the time when it comes to NCAA investigations. Because then what do we do? We point to North Carolina. We point to Miami. We point to LSU. Now Kansas. All these high-profile potential rule violations and seemingly a lot more negative implications with them. But for whatever reason, they kind of get brushed aside and we don't hear about it as much. This one, it just feels weird. It feels like the NCAA is kind of punching below their weight belt a little bit, or weight class, I should say, where it's taking the low-hanging fruit. Like Nebraska, talk about a team that just seems to have no allies right now. You want to talk about alliances. The Big Ten's not even in the alliance with the, with Nebraska right now. So I really hope for Scott Frost and Nebraska's sake that this blows over. It looks like Trev Alberts and Scott Frost have a really good relationship which is the only reason why what Casey, you said, the was this a way for Nebraska to get rid of him? I hadn't considered that. I guess we'll have to pay more of attention. Maybe it's kind of like a preemptive of the season. Like if the season goes poorly, we can look back and point to this as well and say, hey, this just doesn't feel like the, the way we want Nebraska football to look. Poor Nebraska. The Big Ten doesn't like them right now. The NCAA doesn't like them right now. They can't go back to the Big 12 because it's completely gone. I mean, what are they going to do? The corn itself is, like, moving into Iowa country. There's just, like, a basin of nothing in Nebraska. It's, it's okay, though, because I'm, I'm hoping that we can be a little happier talking about them here in a minute. Last thing we will do before we jump right into our season preview division breakdown here. Casey Hayden, do you guys have any recruiting news for us, or has it been another slow week? Yeah, it's been a little slow, but we did have some Big Ten uh, football commits and one basketball commit within the past couple weeks. Uh, Rutgers got a three-star offensive lineman, Amir Stinnett, out of Pennsylvania. Interesting one here, Michigan State got a three-star cornerback, but he's also a four-star point guard, Trey Holloman, out of Minnesota. So, I mean, good for them. I know who I'm picking next year in my uh, little draft that we did. Football players as basketball players, that's what we did, yeah. Anyway, 
Maryland got a solid four-star receiver, Shalik Knotts out of North Carolina. And Iowa got a three-star running back, Jazine Patterson out of Florida. And finally, Penn State got a three-star small forward basketball commit, Evan Maffery out of Ohio. Pretty slow week or two weeks now, but there was some news, I suppose. Yeah, Let's get the ball rolling. Just real quick, I do want to mention Ohio State did get a their first commit for the 23 football class, Ty Lockwood. He plays tight end. He's a four-star tight end. So was he, that he today? Com- yeah, he committed this afternoon oh, at okay. some point. He is okay. the 142nd yeah, I, tight end in the 2023 class. The 142nd tight end or overall? Overall, sorry. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, god damn. Well then, gentlemen, it's finally been here. 15 episodes in, like three or four months in for us. The reason we started this show, it all came back to this. We wanted a place to talk about the Big Ten football, not just Ohio State, not just Michigan, but we wanted to get all of you involved. That includes the people that we make fun of, the Illinois, the Indiana's half the time, Purdue, Maryland. We want to talk about it all, and that's where we're going to start right now. How we're going to do this, we're going to start with the Big Ten West. And we are going to start at who came in last place last season. This is how I decided to make it basically as unbiased I could. Just go basically from worst to best in East Division. And then at the end, we'll get some broader questions for you guys. So the bottom of the barrel, and it's fitting to me that we get to start with them. The Illinois Fighting Illini. We like to poke fun at them in their home field advantage. Last season, they went 2-6. and six. little bit of a recap for you. Their two wins came against Rutgers and Nebraska, both on the road. And remind me to bring this up later, too. Nebraska and Illinois, for whatever reason, the Cornhuskers have a real problem with playing Illinois. But first of all, biggest games coming up this year. They start right away with that Nebraska Cornhusker team we were just talking about. This originally was planned to be overseas. But because of COVID, it comes back here. Illinois will be hosting that game in that mighty tough environment. When you guys look at this upcoming schedule for Illinois, what is your expectation for this Brett Bielma-led team? Do you think we're finally going to start seeing a little momentum from them? Or do you think, unfortunately, it's going to be more of the same for the orange of the Big Ten? Unfortunately for Bielema, I think it's going to be more of the same. I mean, looking at their schedule, they should win two out of their three non-conference games. They should beat University of Texas, San Antonio, and Charlotte, you would think. I think they're probably going to lose at Virginia. And then when, when you're looking at it, too, they have probably one of the easier schedules that the Big Ten has. I mean, from the East, they have Rutgers, Penn State, and Maryland. I mean, outside of Penn State, I Rutgers and Maryland are the two that I would want to play the most, but I don't know. I see this team winning five games, and that's probably a little generous, even though they have 16 returning starters. One of the games that Casey kind of talked about was the non-conference games, and yeah, they should beat UTSA, and they should beat Charlotte, but that game at Virginia, I think, can be a little bit of fun, plus Virginia is our non-Big Ten rooting team. Shout out to Drew Meyer, had him on the pod. But I think that game can be can, could, could actually be a little bit of fun with that 10 a.m. Central time kick for Illinois. I think that could be fun. But yeah, in, in, in conference, it doesn't 
look like Brett Bielema is going to really turn it around this year. And I don't think that's necessarily his fault. It's kind of the circumstances that he is in. But they got a tough stretch in October. Home against Wisconsin, which is actually their homecoming game. They get a bye week, and they come back from the bye at Penn State. That could be a tough little stretch for them. This is an Illinois team that has three all Big Ten and some capacity players that is going to be back this year. Most notably, you'd have to talk about Chase Brown. He was a 13 media all Big Ten running back last year. He averaged over five yards a carry on that team. And that's a team that really wasn't in a position to run a lot. So his 104 carries in that short year for them, it's not that bad. It's something you can be excited for. If you are a Brett Bielma fan, especially his style of offense, maybe see an uptick there. Otherwise, Jake Hansen, another guy on that defensive side of the ball, that he just he's probably going to be a day three player drafted in the NFL this upcoming season. That's someone that I would like to keep an eye on myself. But here's my big take for you. And this, we have a week before we do our week zero because it's basically going to be in Illinois, Nebraska. We're going to talk quite a bit next week going into that game. My big thing right here is that I think Illinois is going to open the year and beat Nebraska. And I think that is less of a giant Illinois. This is the resurgence. But naturally, when you have a new head coach, you get a little bit of excitement, a little bit of passion in that environment, in that program. And I think with what's been going on in Nebraska, and for whatever reason, Nebraska cannot seem to just beat Illinois. They've really had a back and forth in the last, what, 10 years since Nebraska's come into the conference. Illinois, I think, starts off fast, probably gets beat pretty good by the Virginia Cavaliers, and then we're going to start seeing more of what we are used to seeing. I would say in the same neighborhood as Casey, I think they're a four or a five win team, somewhere in that four and eight, five and seven range. But if you go five and seven in Brett Bielma's first year in Illinois, that's a building block. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but that's something you can at least build on. If you go six and six, seven and five, I think that's realistically the best you're going to get at this stage in Illinois football. If they got to six or seven wins, they'd have to pull some upsets here. We'll mention this later, or I, I guess I will, but I'm I'm pretty high on Minnesota and Iowa uh, this coming season, so I don't think they get any there. So I, Looking at their schedule, it's tough for me to pick out five wins or, or seven wins, you know, without it being like a, a major upset, I guess. No, I probably should be clear too. I don't think they're going to get the six or seven wins this year. I'm saying that that's a, a goal. Illinois should have set for the like, future if things go well under Brett Bielema. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you got you. me. Got All right, you. we're on the yep. same page. No more Juice Williams walking through those doors. Yeah, unfortunately for for the Illini fans, you're absolutely right. Last note. What? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I I think is interesting is is on our on our list we have the the betting odds, and Illinois is they're, they're over under for total wins is set at three and a half. And based on kind of what Casey says, I think he's taken the over. He, I think you said five, five-ish wins. Yeah, I think it's four, five is probably their max, but I, I'll give them four. I think just looking at that schedule, that you could see four, four wins out of there. In my opinion, you have the two non-conference games, which they should win. Like I said, I think they can compete at Virginia. I don't think they'll get blown off the field. But, you know, you also have Maryland. We don't know about them really much. 
They still have Rutgers on the schedule at home. They play at home versus Northwestern. They have some games that they can compete and I, I think push that win total above their the Vegas odds. Yeah, it's definitely going to come down, I think, to that first four games. They need to come away at bare minimum with two to have that be a realistic thing. I had Nebraska being a potential win. If that happens, I think it's definitely an over. I don't. I know that I didn't put down the over-unders on all these, so I'm going to do my best as we get there. I'll speed round say it at the end. I'm happy you did that right there, Hayden. But then we're going to go right in now to the second team in the Big Ten West. Last year, two and four, the Purdue Boilermakers. Little bit of a recap for them as well. They beat Iowa in the opener 24-20, to which is a game I'm sure we'll get into more once we get to the Hawkeyes. And then they beat Illinois at Illinois in the first two games of the year. They lost the final four games. Kind of put Jeff Brom a little bit on the hot seat. I still think he probably gets a full year to prove that he can turn that around. But looking into the upcoming part of this year, again, we're going to say this with a lot of these teams, the COVID year really made this challenging as a kind of predicting standpoint. But what do you make of the Purdue Boilermakers going into the 21 season? Man, Purdue for me was a kind of a really tough team to evaluate. Like you said, Wally, they had a great opening week win last year with beating Iowa. And then after that Wisconsin game got canceled, they lost four in a row by 7-3, seven, 7-10. Seven, so they weren't getting really blown out or anything. In my opinion, they have two of the better, really, players in the Big Ten, one on offense, one on defense, at, you know, with David Bell at wide receiver and then George Carl Loftus on their defense. So I, I don't really know what to make of Purdue yet. Looking at their schedule, they should also win two out of their three non-conference games, beating Oregon State and Connecticut, and then losing at Notre Dame, which, I mean, Purdue will be way overmatched in that game. But I don't know. I'd say max, best-case scenario, 6-6, six and because six, they did draw Ohio State and Indiana from the East, too. I'd say max, 6-6, six and six, worst case, 3-9. Uh, and nine. So before, Hayden, you get going here, I should throw out to you guys and the listeners, the over-under for Purdue this year is set at 5. So clearly, Casey has it below. The odds to win the Big Ten Championship is plus 5,000, so very unlikely there. But Hayden, what was your first look at this Purdue team? And I guess we should ask, where do you have them sitting at in terms of wins this year? Casey brings up a great point with David Bell and defensive end that they have. Those two are really, really good pieces that I'm sure any, really any team in the conference would like to have. I'm looking at their schedule and like Wally said, their Vegas line for wins is set at five. I wouldn't pick them to win all of these games, but I think they could be competitive in at least seven of their games or, or have a chance to win in seven of their games. So they have two non-conference with Oregon State and UConn. I think they can be competitive and or win both. They do play Illinois. They get Minnesota at home. They play at Nebraska at home against Michigan State. And they also play at Wrigley Field against Northwestern. I think there's a... a I forgot a, about that. Great call. Yeah, I, I I think there's a chance. And I'm not saying they're going to win all... Was that seven games that I listed there? But th- they can be competitive in all those games. Now, I don't know if I would pick going over five wins because that's saying you're winning all the toss-up games. But there's a there's a chance. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to have to win three of these first five, kind of like you were saying, to make that over possibly happen. 
But here's the thing. I I mean, you get to see they're kind of like I'm trying to think the equivalent maybe in the Big Ten, maybe Maryland. Maybe you guys can agree with that. Maybe not with Oregon State, where there's some weeks in a year they look like a a competent football team, like a fringe thirty to fortieth ranked team in the country. Problem for them is in other weeks you can see that same team lose by thirty to a very evenly matched team. It's just weird how they kind of have that influx. I can see Oregon beating Purdue in week one. And I think that game is very important for Purdue because if Purdue does happen to win that game, they should beat Connecticut. You just want to be competitive against Notre Dame. And then, yeah, I I guess if we want to talk about the top or top five, first five games, better put, they're important for Purdue because they can find a way to be three and two. And I think that's a good goal coming out of that. Man, talk about a bear of a stretch thereafter. You got Iowa and Wisconsin, who are both going to be playing for that Big Ten West crown this year. I just don't know. I I really am a little bit lower on Purdue, unfortunately, because I like Jeff Brom, the person. I think he's a really good motivational speaker. I just don't think that the momentum's there right now. The COVID year, I feel like, was brutal timing for him in that program. I think I honestly would probably put Purdue at three or four wins this year. I'm not high on them. I think that we're probably going to be talking about a reevaluation of their, I guess, future goals at the end of this upcoming year. One thing I do want to ask you guys before we move on, though, they went four and eight in 2019. They went two and four in 2020. Jeff Brom is overall 19 and 25 in the four years there. Do you think with another three, four, even a five win team, does Purdue move on? Or do you think that he gets at least one more crack at this in 22? Unfortunately, I think that if he has another season, like, you know, three, nine, four, and eight, I think they got to move on from him. And it's unfortunate because, you know, he had opportunities to leave after that year um, that they beat Ohio State. He chose to stick around. Maybe he should have entertained leaving a little bit more. I think he got to wipe out the COVID year. But like I said, they have some talent there, you know, so you got to produce it on the field. I'm going to take the opposite approach. I think they do give him another year unless they don't win a game this year. Obviously I think they got to move on, but if they go four and eight or five and seven, I do, I do think he gets another year. I'm kind of in the middle. This is terrible because none of us have uh, really been like, you know what? I'm going to tear down my, my fence for this, but yeah, I'm a little split because of the same reasons you both have said, Casey, you bring up that Ohio state win that year especially with Rondale Moore coming on the scene, it really felt like Purdue could be a team not necessarily as good as Indiana was last year, but they could be taking that kind of a direction where they could have been a competitive team to go 7-5, 8-4, almost kind of like 10 years ago what Northwestern was trying to do. And I really was confident that they could do that. We have, again, with COVID in that brutal 2019 season, you wonder how much of that momentum that he had built is still in the program, which makes me think that not for his own fault, but yeah, he probably should have left after that season a few years ago. It's just a shame that everything since then has happened. It's nobody's fault. He'll have another job. The guy's charismatic is all hell. He obviously knows the quarterback position. So I think he'll have another job. I just think that Purdue is probably not going to be where he is at after this year. But let's go into Nebraska now, our third team in the Big Ten West. Poor Nebraska. Poor Nebraska. You're not kidding. This is going to be a very interesting team, a very interesting year. They went 3-5 and last year. 
The Big Ten has done everything but give them a favor in that stretch. They had moments of sincere optimism after a difficult start to the year last year. They got bombed by Ohio State, but they had glimpses on offense. You lose to a very good Northwestern team. At the time, it didn't feel like a great loss. But once you look back, you're like, you know what? They weren't, they, they were a pretty damn good team. And then they went three and three after that brutal start. Couple bad losses, but I know we kind of hinted at it earlier. Do you guys have any optimism for this Nebraska team this year? Or are they kind of just stuck in this purgatory where Scott Frost is likely gone and we're going to be looking at more, what, five to eight win teams for the foreseeable future? I'm going to take this one first, Casey, because I'm actually been looking at their schedule and I have my first big upset. And I don't even know if you can call it an upset. Nebraska plays Buffalo week three. We, well, yeah, it's their third game. Yeah, it's it's the second week, but it's their third game because they play that opening opening game. Buffalo went 6-1 and one last year, and I have no idea what Buffalo is bringing back, but that could be a game where all of a sudden we're looking at Nebraska and we're like, oh, no, this is an absolute train wreck. And Buffalo and, has a new head coach, too. Yeah, and, and their season could, like, go off the rails, like, really quick. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I'm not. Oh, I mean, Wally was talking about how he thinks Illinois is going to pull off the upset over Nebraska, and man, to start out zero and one, and then are, are you taking it to the bank that Buffalo is beating Nebraska week two? Well, I don't know if I'm necessarily taking it to the bank, but they follow up that Buffalo game with a game versus Oklahoma. So if they lose that Buffalo game, that Oklahoma game could be very ugly. Yeah, so th- that's a great thing. If they lose to Buffalo, if they lose to Illinois, even if they lose one or the other and it's a close game with Illinois or a close game with Buffalo and likely get the doors blown off by Oklahoma, is this one of those rare times in college football where we can see Scott Frost just not get on the plane home to Lincoln? Or do you think that he sees the end of the year regardless of how bad it could get? I don't know if he sees the end of the year because let's say they lose one to Illinois or Buffalo. They're going to start out the year, in my opinion, two and five at best. If they can beat Michigan State on the road, which is no guarantee. I'm looking at Nebraska's first seven games, and I'm thinking they're going one and six or two and five. And that's without even playing Ohio State, Wisconsin, or Iowa yet. So if they get off to a rough start, in my opinion, they're in for a long season. Yeah, and and I actually I do feel really bad for Nebraska fans because – they were one of the biggest proponents last year of really pushing to play. And obviously we've kind of talked about the big tens response and we look at their schedule and it's, it's pretty difficult, but that fan base just has to be demoralized. Really? I mean, and to answer your question about Scott Frost potentially losing his job during the season, I think there's a very real possibility that that happens especially if Wally's upset. It's not even an upset. If, if they lose at Illinois, like Wally suggests, and they lose at home against Buffalo, it's going to say it's certain to happen. Sorry, I was trying to pull up the exact number uh, or the exact series thing real quick from Nebraska-Illinois. I should have wrote it down because it's been ridiculous. Wally, I, I actually have it. Please do. Please throw it out here. Uh, there's a great website um, if you guys ever need it. It's called Winsopedia. And you can plug in literally any team, and then you click compare, and you can click full games list, and it has all the games they've ever played against each other. 
That's perfect. So, what exactly do you want to know about their series? They, they Go figure, I found it as soon as you told me that. We all know Illinois won the last time they played by, you know, three three possessions. But before that, Nebraska actually won four straight. So, they won in 2019, 18, 17, and 16. And all of them, except for 2019, was by at least a score. And Nebraska... Or, Illinois did beat them in 2015 by a point. I don't remember that game, but it must have been a hell of a game. I'm actually glad you said that because I did, I guess, was a little bit more critical of Nebraska than I should have been. Maybe I was thinking of that 2016 game where they won by 15. It was closer than it was late. But yeah, I mean, even so, I mean, this is a team, it's Nebraska. The pedigree they have kind of, it's similar to, I feel like, Michigan, where you have that historic success, and then you've had a little bit of a fall-off in recent times. But yeah, they got the doors blown off on last year, but even before that, in the year before, it was a four-point win. In the year before that, when they won 54-35, to that was a game throughout. They kind of pulled away late. They they just struggle. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to harp too long. I feel like we're, we're kind of being mean, and that's not what we want to be doing, because we... I know that at least Hayden and I, we really like Nebraska. We really like their fan base. It's just... We don't have good news right now, and that's we're not lying to you. It's just a dark day in Nebraska. But last thing, I, oh, go ahead, Casey, please. Oh no, I I didn't know if you were moving on or not. I just have uh, a couple points here that I thought were kind of funny in this magazine that I have. It, it was talking about Adrian Martinez. Now he won back the starting job midway through twenty twenty and whatever. And then it says right here, a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate in twenty nineteen. Martinez could be so again. Did I miss something in 2019? He probably had a great month of like August and September, and we just turned off the TV October on. Yeah, I do not remember that. The second thing I want to mention is, guess who's now on that roster, Hayden? There's no way you're going to guess. Yeah, it's Tyreek Johnson. Oh, okay. And and I actually have been reading things that he... Oh, I've actually been reading things that he might be getting significant playing time this year for them. But who are you well, thinking, he Casey? Sh- he should, right? I mean, he was a five-star. Yeah, yeah, he was, but yeah, never I mean, really found his way. Who are, who are you thinking? So, former Michigan Wolverine, Iowa Hawkeye, Oliver Martin is now on Nebraska's team. Oh, wow. I did wow. not know that. Wow. Yeah. The ultimate slot machine. That's what we thought he was going to be anyway. Yeah, I I remember when Oliver Martin committed to Michigan, you were like, God, I already know I'm going to hate that guy. Just because he, yeah, was that little slot receiver that you couldn't guard. But, you know, hopefully he finds a a new home in Nebraska. This is his third school now already. But a couple interesting points there. No, nope. Well, I'm just saying it either way. Oh. <laughs> Oliver just not it does not seem like it should be a wide receiver name. That says interior offensive like lineman. A, or like a big orange cat name, you know. True. Also a great <laughs> point. You're an orange cat in Champaign, Illinois, or you are an interior offensive lineman in the Midwest. That's all you got if your name is Oliver. What I will say too though, how awesome is this, guys? We finally have got here. We're finally getting to talk about football and not like, oh, yeah, they're they're sponsored by a barbecue shop now because that's a new rule. What else we got for you guys? Oh, dude, this, I this love is this awesome. Yeah. Already having so much fun. I, we what? Been through three teams? 
Exactly. Three, three of the worst, <laughs> worst teams, too. And we're we're not even to, up. like, anything yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, I really think they can go five and seven this year, guys. <laughs> hey, 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 this next team, though, I have some I have some decent expectations for this next team. Wait, so b- before we we'll move on, into I, that. I, yeah. Before we move on, I do have a fun fact. I love fun facts. I'm looking at this this Winsipedia website that I that Wally has just discovered because of me. Nebraska and Illinois first played in 1892. They played in 1892. The score of that game was six to zero. That kind of blows my mind a little bit. High scoring game back then. They really did yeah. belong in the Big Ten. Woo. Gosh, and that was a perfect segue too from you, Casey, because you talk about being an Iowa Hawkeye guy this year. It sounds like you got a little bit of a feeling about the Minnesota Golden Gophers as well. Last year they went three and four. Had a it was a little bit hard to gauge their past season. They lost three out of four to start. All were ugly losses for one reason or another. But then they won their final two out of three games, with their only loss being a 20-17 to 17 overtime loss to Wisconsin. This year seems kind of like a, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but it, it's a real important year for P.J. Fleck. Not in terms of like losing the job, but we've seen in the past for him, this is typically the period of time that his teams, his programs have taken that next step. Last year kind of debilitated the entire country, let alone just an individual football team. But that kind of took a little, again, I used the word again, the momentum away from that Minnesota program. What do you guys have as expectations for him and for that team? Because I think we're going to go with Casey first because you are higher on them. What is your thoughts when you're looking at this upcoming year, what Minnesota can be? Another team that I'm high on from the West, Minnesota, they returned 18 starters Nine on offense, eight on defense, and then their punter. But most importantly, they returned Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim, and then five starting offensive linemen. I think that is key. And then when you look at their schedule, they start off with Ohio State. I really think that that game could be a good game going into the fourth quarter. I think are Ohio you calling State upset? Are you calling upset? I'm, I'm not calling upset, but it could get, you know, one of those Purdue-Iowa vibes maybe. Whoa, Just, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is going to be weird. It's going to be Thursday night, opening night at Minnesota. Big crowd, I'm assuming. But I don't think they win that game. I think they keep it competitive for three quarters, like I said. But then after that, giving them a loss there, after that, I think they reel off seven in a row, beating Miami of Ohio, Colorado, Bowling Green, Purdue, Nebraska, Maryland, and then Northwestern, Illinois follows that. So eight in a row before they end the season at Iowa, at Indiana, and Wisconsin. So, really, unless I'm crazy, fellas, like, I see eight wins at least on here, right? I completely agree with you. I don't think Ohio State's going to blow them out. I, I think Ohio State might – it might be kind of game where Ohio State's up seven to ten points throughout the game, and maybe they scored a touchdown late to make it a, you know, a 17-point game, something like that. But they're not going to blow them out, I don't think. I do think that this first game – can give us some real interesting stories both about Minnesota and Ohio State. Let's say Minnesota plays that game really, really close and they lose by a touchdown or a field goal or something along those lines, but then they rip off eight in a row. The whole way we look at Ohio State and Minnesota from that week one game can change drastically depending on what Minnesota does after that game. I look at that first game this year with that Ohio State-Minnesota game for Buckeye fans, it reminds me a lot. And maybe I'm getting the year wrong. If I am, tell me uh, Hayden or Casey. 
I think it was a 2016 opener for Ohio State. I want to say it was a Friday night against Indiana in Bloomington. And for whatever reason, we went into that year. Well, it was national title hopes and aspirations for Buckeye fans. And I want to say Indiana either had a lead or it was like a three or a four point game late in the third. Yeah, that was J.K. Dobbins' coming out party. He ran for like 160 yards as a fresh, as a true freshman. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. And I think you're right. That game was competitive for about three quarters, too. It was. Yeah, yeah. I remember because I was watching that. We just moved into my house in Columbus, and I was, like, pissed off at halftime. Like, I, I thought there was a chance they could lose that game. Yeah, because it was – I remember my sister was going to school. She was a true freshman, and they had a watch party on the South Oval. And that was the reason I remember going to that game because I'm like, Amber, this Buckeye team is loaded. This is going to be a great way for you to start your Ohio State time, your tenure. And all of a sudden, you're like two and a half, three quarters in. You're like, maybe you should go to another school because I'm putting this solely on your back if we lose this game. Anyways, going off of what you were saying here uh, a minute ago, I'm a little bit more pessimistic when it comes to this Golden Gopher team. And I'm a P.J. Fleck, Stan, fan I, I love that guy. I really do think that he's great at recruiting. I really just like the human being in there himself and what he can get out of a program. The problem is, is that I don't see, I guess, as much in the early part of the year for you guys where I do think they're going to be a lot more competitive against Ohio State than I think that if they played later in the year, they would be. But I'm worried about that Colorado game. That's another one of those situations where I feel like if the over-under-7 we might look back and that's the game that makes or breaks it. Because when I went through this schedule the first time, I think there's a good chance that they're 2-2 two and two after 4 because they lose to Ohio State and Colorado. And if that's the case, I think they're going to be sitting at 6 or 7 wins. So in that scenario, if you made me bet one way or another, I'd take the under because I've in my world, I'd imagine that 7's very possible, but 6 is much more likely than 8. And I just... Yeah, they bring back Mo Ibrahim, and he, you want to talk about a guy that is hidden from the public light. People don't know how good this guy, he was a third-team All-American last year in his own right. He had 201 carries last year for 1076 yards, 15 touchdowns, and only seven games. His lowest yards in a game last year was 102. He was at or over 140 in five of the seven games. And he has never averaged less than 5.3 yards per carry in his three seasons. That guy is going to really, I feel like, be a catalyst for this team because we know how high we can be on Tanner Morgan. But if Mo Ibrahim can be that guy, can really keep that momentum up, be that guy that's going to be over five yards per carry, maybe you're right, Casey. Maybe this is a team that could be a dark horse team for the Big Ten West. All right, side note, I looked up the, because you compared the Minnesota-Ohio State opener to the Indiana-Ohio State opener. I believe I have the year right. 2017, it was at Indiana. Indiana was winning 14-13 to at halftime. Okay, but the final score looks lopsided. It was 49-21, to which I don't remember it ending that way at all. Ohio State outscored them 36-7 to in the second half. So, I, I don't remember that game turning out that way. I thought it was much, much closer, but just... Just so everybody's aware. So listening to the radio down here, it's very funny. The closer that we're getting to the season actually kicking off, the more the analysts and the radio people are saying like, oh, you know, now it's a tough game at Minnesota, a good team in Minnesota. I just found it kind of funny how, you know, all summer long they were kind of talking about, 
you know, the Oregon game, Oregon game, Oregon game, and just looking over Minnesota. But now that it's kind of creeping up, they're realizing that it's going to be a tough atmosphere. I think that first and foremost, obviously, Ohio State has the more talented team. There's no question about it. But just taking in the atmosphere, Minnesota has an experienced quarterback where Ohio State's breaking in a brand-new quarterback that's never even thrown a pass. I think all that kind of adds up to it being kind of like that Indiana game where Ohio State might not look like they're rolling in the first half, and then um, they kind of take it to them in the second half. Casey, if you had to guess the over-under for total points in that opening game, what do you think it would be? See, I could see that game being like a – 38-24, so what, 61-and-a-half, 60, let's say. The over-under for that game is 66-and-a-half, which I thought was a little high. I don't know, maybe just me. Hayden, do you yeah. still off the top of your head have the scores? Because you texted me that the same, what, a few days ago. And I think I was kind of in the same neighborhood score-wise as Casey. I think I had something like a 38-24. Are you talking about the the line for this game? It might have been both. I know it went both directions because you know how I'm the gambling of like a degenerate where if you give me 66.5 and and you give me the spread, it's basically the way I do it is I take it down to exactly what Vegas wants. But I I think we're wasting time, but it's more or less. I was similar with Casey. I think it's going to be that high 30s, low 40s to a, a low mid 20s kind of game. So you guys are both way over then, yeah? No. Are you over? No. Are you saying you're going to go way over? Half. No, no. Like, let's say a 41-24 game. That's 65. You would actually have the under then. You're right. I don't I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting total for the game. I don't, I don't know which way to take it, but... Well, they, we'll have a lot of fun going into that here next week on our, uh, what, episode 17 show. Because we'll get to do that. Maybe it's 18. We'll figure it out. It don't matter. But no, that's a good point. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that. And then we're getting into the top half of the Big Ten West now. Where realistically, we're going to be looking at the potential team to play. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan on that other side. So Wisconsin now. We all know about Graham Mertz. We've talked about him in abusive amount since this show started about four or five months ago. But they went 3-3 three and three last year in the Big Ten. 4-3 and three overall. What a roller coaster this team was last year. You start the year with a perfect game, effectively, from Graham Mertz. Get everybody all fired up about the blowout of Illinois. Then you have two games canceled before beating Michigan by 38 at the big house. Everyone's on board with Wisconsin. But what happens then? You follow that up with three straight losses, another cancellation, before two wins to close out the year. Hard to get a gauge on this. I don't know, man. This is a team that has always felt a quarterback away. Is Graham Mertz that quarterback, and do they get over the hump? I am not as high on Wisconsin as everybody else is. I think when the that's because you're an Iowa homer. No, uh, no. Let let me finish. Let me finish. When the AP poll came out and they were ranked twelfth, I thought I like that was one of those meme. AP polls or something. That was crazy. That's ahead of teams like Indiana, Iowa, and Northwestern, who had far better seasons than what Wisconsin did last year. And Indiana and Iowa have their starting quarterbacks returning. I just thought that that was crazy. But you mentioned, Wally, they looked good their first two games. But in their three losses, they scored seven, six, and seven points in each of those games. So I guess I'm just not seeing what everyone else is. But – 
the great thing about it is we get to find out week one, man, when they open the season against Penn State. I'm jacked about that game. That opening for Wisconsin is is a tough stretch. Penn State, and then they get kind of a break with Eastern Michigan, but Notre Dame and then Michigan. That's an interesting three or four games that they could play. We'll find out a lot about who they are and what they're about this year. Wally said when he, you know, kind of brought up Wisconsin at all, I, it, it really depends on Graham Mertz. And if you think he is going to take them to another level that we haven't really seen from a Wisconsin quarterback in a while. My answer to that this year is probably not. But I, that doesn't mean that they're not going to win the West. We've seen them win the West without anything amazing at quarterback. So do I think he is the real deal and he, they're going to go 12-0? and 0? Eh, Probably not. But I do still think they're going to win the West. You guys ready for a really bold prediction out of me? This is probably my big one for you guys. I've been waiting. Let's hear it. Yeah, you better be ready. Well, and here's the thing, too. I like I know all of, or not all of you guys, you too, I should say. You're going to be like me where you have these bold predictions. They evolve throughout the season, so don't think I'm married to this in October when Wisconsin starts off miraculously 3-3 three and three and I look like an idiot. I think Wisconsin walks into the Big Ten championship game this year undefeated. I think you're going to have wow. a 12-0 Wisconsin team walk into the Big Ten title game. It all depends on the start of the season. If they if they can beat Penn State at home, which is good chance, they're going to beat Eastern Michigan. You wrote And then all of a here. sudden you're playing yeah. a neutral site game with Notre Dame. I, and that's probably going to decide. That's, yeah. You're absolutely right. Because they are going to start with Penn State. I think I'm going to pick them because that's at Camp Randall. But then you're right. They they have that neutral site game against Notre Dame, which you could argue it's as much of a home game as, as it would be anywhere else north of Chicago. Because Chicago's far enough away where I think you're going to have 60, 65% of those B Badger fans there. But you know, it's Notre Dame, so they have a fanatical fan base too. We'll see if I'm right. But then on top of that, you have Michigan also at home and Iowa at home. All their big games are home games or neutral site games. And then if you can find a way to get through that front-loaded schedule undefeated, you effectively just have that Iowa football game as the Big Ten West Championship game. I They're plus 800 to win the Big Ten. And if you're not going to take Ohio State, to me, that's best value. And they're plus 5,000 to win the National Championship. The only reason I bring that up is that they are the only other Big Ten team plus 5,000 or better other than Ohio State. So clearly Vegas has a little bit more faith in this team than most do. I'm just saying, that's my big call. It'll probably evolve throughout the year. Wisconsin, 12-0 when they meet up with whoever they play in the Big Ten East. I guess you'll have to figure out later. We all know that Vegas is always right, too. So if Vegas is on to something, they might be on to something. I just don't see it. That'll be fun. We might end up having a podcast bet when they eventually play, especially if there is Big Ten West stipulations. I just think man, to go undefeated when the Big Ten West, in my opinion, is probably as strong and deep as it's been in a long time. That was very bold. Very bold. Well, it will be bold. It. I promise you, I walk in front of the bus when I have my terrible takes. So I will be standing there waving that Wisconsin flag, whether I'm right or wrong. But let's go into Casey's adoptive 2021 Big Ten football team. The Iowa Hawkeyes. 
They went 6-2 and two last year. They didn't play any non-conference games. They started the year 0-2, but finished the year as one of the hottest teams in the country, winning six straight. They lost at Purdue 24-20 to start the year. They lost by one to Northwestern, in which we found out, obviously, that Northwestern was much better than people expected them to be. But here's the thing. After those first two teams, they were dummying teams all year. The score differential was minus five after the first two weeks. In the final six games, it was plus 131. Casey, this is your kind of what I guess you've been on them longer than we have. We'll let you go first. Iowa, do they get it done? Do they play in the Big Ten title game this year? Ooh, starting me off with the big one, huh? They have, I think, the third least returning starters in the Big Ten. I thought it was more going into the year, but apparently I was wrong. But they do bring back Spencer Petrus, Tyler Goodson, and then one of the best offensive linemen in the Big Ten in Tyler Linderbaum. Man, but looking through their schedule, I mean, shoot, there's a good chance they could start 0-2 again. They host Indiana week one and then play at Iowa State week two. And I would say both of those games are toss-ups, but, you know, Iowa State's probably going to be a decent favorite at home. They draw Indiana, Penn State, and... Maryland from the East, gosh, I might be retracting on my Iowa love this year. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. You know what? I'm going to say it. They're going to be 12-0 going into the big Did it break off for you too, Hayden? Did he literally glitch out because... Yeah, because the the take was so hot. Your computer knew. (laughs) They're going to be 12-0 going into the Big Ten Championship. I think they get the job done. First game against Indiana and then at Iowa State. And, um, yeah, I just think they they roll through their schedule. Early line for the Iowa-Indiana game is Iowa minus four. So they are a four-point favorite at home. Now, they do say that home field is a a three-point bump. So if they were neutral site, theoretically, Iowa would be a one-point favorite. So pretty even. Casey, I I have to ask now. Because I can feel like, um, like I don't even know what the world would be. There's a split. I can't tell how serious you are. Oh, I thought we were saying dumbass takes. Exactly. Like you, just said, you just said Wisconsin. I knew it. So I, I knew there was oh, ulterior oh, motives oh. here. No, I need a number. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm going to look like an idiot, but I think Wisconsin goes 12-0 and this regular season. What yeah, is I, Iowa's record at the end of this regular year season? I, I'm going to say... Nine and three or ten and two. Do you think they beat Wisconsin in Camp Randall? I do not. Okay, so you have Wisconsin going to the Big Ten title game? I do not. What are you picking there? I have Minnesota. I have Iowa going to the Big Ten championship game. And so you still I'm, have them getting in? Even with them losing to Wisconsin. Yeah, so I'm going to say they beat Penn State at home. And so I'm saying their two losses are to Iowa State and Wisconsin. And I think that Wisconsin, let me see here, who they're going to trip up on because they're definitely <laughs> he's, not going to He's, he's guessing at this point. Well, he's while, guessing. while he's looking that up, so that would be crazy, though, just because that's back-to-back years. They would start off with two difficult games to start the year, go 0-2, then win out, which oh, would be uh, yeah. amazing in its own right. If you, I mean, there's nothing wrong with an Iowa Hawkeyes football team going 10-2 and and winning the Big Ten West. Wisconsin's first two Big Ten opponents are no gimmies, Penn State and Michigan. There. There's the two losses. There they are. At home. 
Yep. Which means Iowa makes it to the championship because they only have one Big Ten loss. Easy. Well, if you are on Casey's side here, Tyler Linderbaum, he's a Remington front runner, second team All American. He's back, and he's also back with the plus twelve hundred odds to win the Big Ten this year. If you're with him, maybe that's a, a bet you want to think about. Best value out in the Big Ten West, realistically. Easy money. Yeah, there Easy you go. Money. Easy money. It, it's a lock. Well, anyways, we'll go to our last of the Big Ten West teams here. Last year's Big Ten West champion gave Ohio State a big fight there at the end. They went 6-1 in conference. They went 7-2 overall. Great season. However, they had a, a really tough loss. Late in the year, second-to-last game against Michigan State, they lost by 9. But here, I have a—you know what? No, I'm going to come back to this point later. It's a fun one. I found a fun stat I want to bring up to you guys. But before I do that— Northwestern, it goes without saying, Pat Fitzgerald has done exceptional things at this program, a program that before he took over, realistically didn't have expectations at all. What do you guys make of this team this year? Do you think that there's a chance that they can go back to Indianapolis to face whoever comes out of the Big Ten East? Or do you think that maybe they're going to take a few steps back this year? I'm certainly not predicting that they'll go to the Big Ten Championship game, but their conference schedule is not incredibly difficult. They play Iowa November 6th and then at Wisconsin the following week. Those are their two huge games. But the Iowa game is at home, so that helps a little bit. But then they got to go to Wisconsin on the 13th. So Big Ten-wise, they have some extremely winnable games. It's just going to be if they can beat Iowa at home and then go to Wisconsin the following week. Outside of that, they don't play anybody really in the conference. I mean, they play at Michigan if you want to count them. We'll get to Michigan later. But So I'm not very high on, on Northwestern this year. They did just name Hunter Johnson as their starting quarterback. I don't know if you guys saw that. Five-star, wasn't he? Five-star. Right, right, but he also played for him. I'm not sure if it was last year or two years ago, and my gosh, he looked terrible. So unless he made drastic improvements, I don't really see him taking Northwestern's offense to the the next level. And they have the least returning starters in the Big Ten. They have eight returning starters. And that's three on the offense, three on the defense, and their punter and kicker. So they're replacing a lot, and returning starters doesn't always equal success in my eyes. So, you know, take that with what you will. But, yeah, I, I mean, I just think breaking in a new quarterback then having to go through the Big Ten West. I don't think this is going to be uh, Northwestern's year as much as I love Pat Fitzgerald and what he's done at Northwestern so far. Now, I'll give you guys the over-under totals here because this is where it starts getting to the point where I forgot to put them on the rundown. Apologies to people listening at home. They are listed at 6.5 as the over-under. Here's my quick stat I wanted to give you guys, and then right after that I will immediately go into my over-under here. They had the big bowl game win last year against Auburn, 35-19 in the Citrus Bowl against those Auburn Tigers. You can make a case it's probably been the best bowl win for them in over 70 years. Here's the fun fact I wanted to give you guys. Before Pat Fitzgerald was head coach of Northwestern, the team had been to six total bowl games. They were 1-5 with their only bowl game win coming at the Rose Bowl in 1948. Since he took over the Northwestern Wildcats, he has been to 10 bowl games. And here is even more impressive to me. Since 2012, 
when you could really say that his stamp has been put on that Northwestern team. Northwestern's 5-1 and one in bowl game, including wins over Mississippi State, Pittsburgh, Kentucky, Utah, and Auburn. That's three SEC teams, a very good Utah team, and Pittsburgh back then was much more competitive. You can't say enough about what this guy's done at Northwestern. It's almost a little bit of a shame that we don't get to see him at a better program to see what he could do. I think that he gets the over here just simply because I think he'll get wins against Michigan State. All those non-conference games, Indiana State, Duke, Ohio, probably beats Rutgers. I think I'd pick him against Minnesota, Purdue. And at that point, hell, I mean, you still have games against Illinois, Nebraska. I, they get the over. I, I This is a dark horse team. Hayden, you were saying, I know it droned on there, but the stat I just read talked me into it. Northwestern's going to be involved in November. It's just a matter of can they get it done. I don't think they do, but I wouldn't be shocked if Northwestern finds their way to Indianapolis. It seems what they do nowadays. Wow. I'm not picking Northwest. them. So you remember, I had 12-0 and Wisconsin. That's true. They have a they have a pretty rough late October, early November stretch, though. Michigan, Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. Maybe if they split those, they, they still have a shot, but that's... I, I just don't see it happening this year. There is a realistic chance that they do enter the, what, second month, third month of the season, 6-0, and before that late October, November stretch like you were talking about. Because, I mean, God, that last month, you're playing at Michigan, home against Minnesota and Iowa, and then at Wisconsin. That's just hard on these kids to respond. Get up each week, back-to-back in games like that. I don't think it happens, but, you know, if there's a coach that can do it, it's Pat Fitzgerald. I think our last question we need to ask here for the Big Ten West before we jump into the East here. You heard us all say it, but let's do it one more time. Your Big Ten West champion, who is it? And give us a 10-second reason why. Mine won't even be 10 seconds, so I'll go first. It's Wisconsin. It's Graham Mertz. It's Camp Randall. They're 12-0. and Look out. The Badgers are here. That was 11 seconds long, just so you know. Yeah, that's fine. They always go the extra mile for Wisconsin. I'm also going with Wisconsin, and it's only because they host Iowa during the season. If the game was at Iowa, I might give Iowa the nod because I do expect good things out of them this year, but being at Wisconsin makes it a little tough. Yep, I'm sticking with my Iowa Hawkeyes. They get Penn State, Indiana, Minnesota all at home. And even though you know they have, they do have a tough schedule. I think they pulled out in the end. Go Hawkeyes, fellows! We're halfway through now. We're at the Big Ten East. We're going to start again from the bottom and work our way up. So we're going to start with the Michigan State Spartans now. Last season recap, real quick for you guys. They beat Michigan at Michigan in Week Two. Things looked okay at that point. Then things fell apart. Not a lot that positive happened. They did beat Northwestern late in the year on the road to at least kind of give a little bit of a silver lining on the season. They were demolished by a very depleted Ohio State team. You could make a case that this was the most disappointing team in the entire conference. With the possible exception of that 2016 team as well, going 3-9, and nine, this was possibly the worst Spartans team we ever saw in our entire living lifetime. However... If you're a Spartan fan, last few months, Mel Tucker has made it very clear he's trying to attack the transfer portal. He's really taken an emphasis on protecting the Michigan border. 
What do you guys think that we're going to see out of this Michigan State and Mel Tucker-led team? Do you think that we're going to see, I guess, things to be excited about in the future? Or is this not a very good fit? I think Mel Tucker, like you said, has been doing a superb job on the recruiting trail this offseason. I do think that he's a good fit for Michigan State. However, I'm not sure that this season will be the season that he really like gets him back to you know, seven, eight, nine wins a year. But, I mean, they do get a pretty nice draw from the West with Northwestern, Purdue, and Nebraska. But, I mean, I just I can't really see this team getting over six wins this year. And, and based on the, the improvements of Rutgers and Maryland over the past few years, those are usually games that you can kind of chalk up a win. But I don't think for this Michigan State team that those are necessarily, you know, gimme wins either – you know, outside, they should win two of their three non-conference games. They should beat Youngstown State in Western Kentucky. They travel to the U. I thought that that was interesting. I didn't realize that until um, we're looking at their schedule. So probably going to lose that one. And then, like like I said, toss-up games. Nebraska, I don't know. Rutgers, I don't know. You know, Maryland, I don't know. Because, you know, Michigan State has shown last year they opened the season, lose their Rutgers team that we didn't really think was going to be anything that year. Michigan State over under four and a half. Gosh, man. Let, let me count one, two. Ugh, I'm going under. I, I'm saying they're going four and eight. Yeah, I'm inclined to take the under as well. Wins that they should get. Youngstown State, Western Kentucky, yes. I tend to think that they might beat Nebraska at home. At Rutgers is interesting. At Purdue is interesting. Home versus Maryland is interesting. So there's, what, five games that I'm kind of in between on? No, yeah, I'm going under. They are returning 17 starters, eight on offense, and seven on defense. Their punter and kicker. Matt Coughlin is still there. Did you guys know that? Isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they do have some key pieces, but I think, you know, much like the a lot of the Big Ten West teams that we talked about, and we're going to talk later about the Big Ten East teams, I think it really relies on the quarterback play for this team. Although they didn't show it last year, Michigan State is typically a team that, that always plays solid defense. So if they can get back to their playing solid defense days – even if they get back to their 2019 stat, they gave up 35 points a game last year. And 2019, 22, 2018, they ranked eighth in the nation, gave up 17. If they can get back to that, I think they could get to maybe the six and six range. But, you know, that's a big jump. And then also, you know, Peyton Thorne, not really sure if I'm sold on him yet either. Here's my kind of, I, I guess it's not bold, but it's bolder, I would say. I think there's a very good chance to go undefeated in non-conference, and that includes the Miami game. That's the big one for me. I, I really do think that Miami— a top 15 team I'm, in Miami? And Ooh. I want this to be clear, too. And I've said it before that I can obviously, in the week, change and tell you I'm betting. But today, today, on August 19th, I really do feel like Miami, every time that we have gotten to the point where we over-expect too much from them early in the year— we can see a team that just doesn't show up in the big games. And I just feel like that's a game that you're not going to see as much. It's not the the rank showdown. I think that you might get a Miami team that thinks that this could be an easier game than it should be. And I this is a team last year, you got to see Mel Tucker's 
Spartans beat a very well-coached Northwestern team on the road. I think that there's a chance. Now, this is, God, gun to my head. I probably wouldn't do it. But you get, like, real feeling it when you're doing a, a preview show where things are a while away. But I really do think that they are going to be a team that's going to be a five or six win, I, I guess, program. And then look out. I, I hope Mel Tucker can keep this emphasis on the transfer portal going forward. Michigan State, it, it, the Big Ten's better when Michigan State's good. And I think that we're a few years away from them being a good team again. But I would take the over four and a half. Let's keep it in state here. We're going to go a few hours to the west. Ann Arbor, Michigan. The Michigan Wolverines last year went two and four. They started off very hot in their own right by blasting Minnesota and then went on a three-game slide before beating Rutgers in a three-overtime game to end the year. The wheels really fell off after that first game. It's not a Michigan team we're used to seeing. Lost games in fashions we're not usually accustomed to. I mentioned earlier Wisconsin beating them at the big house by 38. I'm sure that Michigan will be tougher to play at home once we get fans back. Got a few really fun games early in the year. We talked the last few months that Washington coming to the big house is a really big deal, especially for that being in that week two matchup. We're going to go to Hayden first. He's the notorious Buckeye fan here. Casey's the former Michigan Wolverines fan. So we want to save him last. So Hayden, we'll let you go first. We'll come back to me. We've talked a lot about Ohio State having a quarterback controversy. Not a lot of people outside of the area realize that Michigan's got one in their own right. What do you think that we can expect this year? Should we look at the incoming freshman, or do you think that it's going to be more of the same from the past? So I I might have mentioned this before, and maybe not. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. Maybe I haven't. If I haven't, I've mentioned it to Casey and Wally and I'm sure several other people that I've talked about football, especially Michigan football, with. If I were Jim Harbaugh, I would start the freshman from day one, and I would throw him into the fire. One, it gives him, in my opinion, it gives him a cover for a potentially not-so-great season. Let's say they win five or six games with a freshman quarterback. I think that gives him some cover to say, look, we only won six games, but we played a five-star freshman who has loads of potential and the next two years, are we're going to do big things. The second, the other side of the coin to that is, I'm not impressed, and I don't think Caden McNamara is the answer at quarterback for Michigan. I don't, I don't see any, any, you know, signs of special out of him. And if Michigan wants to win ten games, nine games, eleven games, they need. In my opinion, every every team needs at least a little special at quarterback. They should start the freshman. Now, let's take a turn at their schedule. They have Western Michigan to start. Then they have Washington the following week. And then Northern Illinois. Over-under is set at 7.5. Okay? Let's assume that they beat both of the MAC schools. There's two. You start looking at the schedule. Washington. I don't know how how the other guys feel, but this is a true toss-up game to me. It could go either way. Maybe they win. Maybe they don't. Rutgers, based on what we saw last year, I know last year was a different year. It was strange, something we've never seen before. I'm not inclined to say Michigan, that's a guaranteed win for Michigan. Next week, you go at Wisconsin. 
I think history tells us that's probably a loss. The following week, you go to Nebraska. That should be a win. They should beat Nebraska with the situation that Nebraska's in. So right now we're at three sure wins and we're halfway through the season. Things don't necessarily get easier for the Wolverines. You have Northwestern at home, which I think probably could go either way. You're at Michigan State. I'm going to count that as a win for Michigan. There's four. You have Indiana at home. I'm not going to count that as a win. You have Penn State on the road. I'm not going to count that as a win. You have Maryland on the road. Just for the sake of this conversation, let's give it to them. That's five. And then you finish with your traditional rival, Ohio State, at home. I'm at five. I I need you guys to convince me to get to eight to take the over. I'll go next since Casey is the former Michigan fan here. No, I see, I'm actually a little bit different. I think they are going to be a seven or an eight win team. I just don't know where uh, the differences will come because there are games that can go either way. The non-conference that we talked about, the obvious ones, that they're, they're going to win. The Washington game, I really do think that Michigan has a much better shot than people give them credit for from the outside looking in to win that. And if that happens, there's a real chance they start this season 4-0 and before going to Camp Randall. That should be a loss. I think most of us expect that. But here, this Michigan team, if they can, and who knows what they do at quarterback, because even if it isn't the freshman right away and you don't throw him to the fire, let's say that you do start and they – you're, you're seeing a little bit of a slower progression than you would want to out of that position. Harbaugh's not married to whoever he starts on day one there. I wouldn't be surprised at all if you see multiple guys start this year, and that doesn't matter how good they're doing. This is a year where it's kind of make or break. You really need to separate yourself there and make sure that you, if you are Jim Harbaugh, I mean, shit, if you want to stick around, I think that you have to basically have an eight or a nine win season. It's just people are, are kind of wearing thin on it. Washington, I can see him winning. Wisconsin, I don't. Indiana, I can see winning. And then I, I, I'm saying seven, eight games. I'm going to say eight. I'm going to say eight. And that's a Buckeye fan. I really do feel like this year that Michigan might finally start making more of the progression back to being a very good Big Ten team. I want to hear it now from Casey. You do have some big guys coming back here. What do you think this team's expectations should be? And what do you think ultimately this team accomplishes this year? Yeah, I tend to agree more with you, Wally. And I'm going to try to briefly go through each unit real quick because this was my this former team. This is your team. team, man. Go for it. it Take was your my, time. It was my former team. So I agree with Hayden about the quarterback situation. I don't think Cade McNamara is anything special, but I think he'll be a good game manager. I think he reminds me a lot of Shea Patterson. And while Shea Patterson was very inconsistent, I think that they both share – a lot of the same qualities. Now, if Cade can be more accurate than Shea was down the field, maybe that can lead to more success. Running backs, I think they have a great stable of running backs. I don't think that would be an issue. I think that wide receiver-wise, they have talent, but it was young talent last year. If guys like A.J. Henning and Roman Wilson can start to get in the mix and make plays, I think that will be big for them. Eric All showed flashes last year at tight end. Dropped a lot of passes, though. He was very inconsistent. Offensive line, though, I think, oddly enough, is going to be an area of strength for them. They're relatively deep with experience. And guys like Zach Zinter and Chuck Filalaga or whatever, they, they do have guys behind them that were very highly recruited. Nolan Rumler comes to mind. Trevor Keegan comes to mind. They, they have depth when it comes to stars and, to some extent, playing time. Although last year, 
you know, they did a lot of shuffling around and they're counting that as playing time, whatever. Defensive line, it, I mean, they have talent. Their defensive line is probably the second most talented defensive line unit in the Big Ten to Ohio State with Chris Hinton and Aiden Hutchinson leading the way. Michigan expects guys like Mozzie Smith to really come in and make an impact as well on that defensive line. Linebackers are a big issue, although Josh Ross comes back and Michael Barrett, they both have gotten a lot of playing time experience. But I saved the best for last. The or not the best for last. The most important thing outside of the quarterback play, in my opinion, is that secondary. They they looked awful last year, you know, majority of the year. They bring everybody back. They do have guys like Daxon Hill returning, who I think played well last year. So the secondary is going to be the biggest key as far as unit-wise outside of the quarterback. But it all comes back for me to that September 11th matchup against Washington. I think if they get that win, they they start off the year 7-1. and one. I think they do end up losing to Wisconsin, but I think they beat teams like Nebraska, Northwestern, and Michigan State. And then head into November 7-1, and one, yeah, they have three of their four toughest games in November, but if they can squeak out two out of four wins that year, and then there's nine wins. So I think Michigan's around the eight or nine win total. I'm not as low on them as everybody else is. Everybody excuses COVID for almost every single team except for Michigan, it seems like. And, you know, they, they had a disastrous year. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not denying that or anything, but it d- just seems like they are the one team that COVID-19 pandemic didn't excuse, I guess. No, I actually feel similarly where a lot of those big name programs that underachieved last year lost a permission slip to get away with it like everybody else did. I think that you can see that even with teams like Auburn, not in the Big Ten. There are a lot of programs that did not get an excuse when others did for whatever reason. Michigan, though, I really do. You said it just now. That Washington game, I think that we can all agree that's going to be a a turning point for the year. I know it's early on, but if you lose that game, and let's say you lose it in a non-comfortable way, that's when you start having that what doubt creep into not only the the locker room, but the fan base too, being like, okay, maybe we're not going to see this turnaround with Harbaugh. If you win that game though, and it doesn't matter if you win by one or not because of the expectations going into it for whatever reason of Washington, dude, even an eight and four year, if you win a game like that and you're competitive with Ohio State, you're competitive with Wisconsin, you can start building again on that. I'd be fired up or not. I'd be excited at least that there is a positive direction because right now that's what you need. You need to at least know there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And for the last few years, we haven't seen that. But I'm excited to talk about the Michigan-Washington game here in a few weeks. I really do think that is going to be one of the best non-conference games in the entire conference this year. Speaking of that game, I have the spread pulled up for it. It ranges anywhere from Michigan minus one to minus two. So depending on the sports book you're at, you go from minus one to minus two. Basically but a pick em. Basically a pick em. I will say that it looks like money is coming in on Washington. Plus two. They're, they're minus 124 compared to Michigan minus two is plus 102. So really they, it, it's, a, it's, a true, it's a yeah. true pick em, really. Good point. Yeah, I mean... I, I can't overemphasize how, how important that game is, in my opinion, to that season. If they win it, like I said, 
eight, nine, ten wins is you would think would look reasonable beating a top twenty team, but also you lose that game and then all of a sudden six and six looks reasonable too. Very big game in my opinion. Let's switch it on over now to another team, one that we probably would be usually talking about first here in the Big Ten West, but the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. They went three and six last season, but don't let that discourage you. This is one of those teams that if you watched last year, they showed glimpses of being a very competitive team. And after what they had been for years, that's something that you cannot take lightly. Good for them. Had good wins against Michigan State, Maryland, and Purdue. They lost their other six. But even games that they lose, like the one at Ohio State, that second half should have Rutgers fans very excited because it clearly showed a team that does not give up, not only on their head coach, but on a game that they were down like three or four scores when the game was all but over. We knew that. And to have that level of effort, it says a lot about what a regime can do. Now, upcoming this year... They do have some really big games here to start. I I joked about it earlier, but they have a Northeastern tour to start the year. They have Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware before they get into the meat of their schedule. Do you think that this is the year we're finally going to start seeing that Rutgers resurgence under Greg Schiano now? I mean, in his first year back, he looked fantastic. Do we expect more of the same, or what do you guys think? I mean, I I think that there's going to be an improved quality of football play on the field. Now, does that translate into wins? Not necessarily, in my opinion. You know, being in the Big Ten East is is never easy. But they should start out 3-0. and I mean, they should beat Temple. They should beat Syracuse. Those teams combined for two wins last year. And then Delaware, are they are they even a Division One team? I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't even think that they're a Division One team. So you got to think a team like Rutgers handles business there. But then, you know, they travel to Michigan and Ohio State or they have Ohio State at home, and back-to-back weeks, that's that's tough. You know, if, if they play them well, then then I could see them beat Michigan State and probably in Illinois, and, uh, you know, closing the, closing the year at Maryland are really the only games that I feel in the Big Ten, that being Michigan State, Illinois, and uh, Maryland, that, I, th- I you know, I think they could win. You know, like I said, I think Michigan's going to be an improved team. With the over-under being at four, ah, oh, man. Wow. I th- I'm going to say it's a push. I think they get the four. Yeah, I think they get the four. I, I don't think they can get the five. Hey, and where do you sit on this team? And I love that you brought up the over-under there at four. I'll, I'll be quick with this, too. I also think it's either a push or slightly above. I think they're a four or five win team. Hayden, what do you got? I'm not going to keep too much time on this already. Since Casey went push, I guess I'll take the over and they get five. I will say real quick, though, last thing, and we'll we'll flip it over. I know that we're not giving Rutgers a, a proper amount of time, but they still are in that rebuild phase right now where they're not exactly a, a, a legitimate threat in the Big Ten, something we'll keep our eye on. But this is a team that's bringing back 20 starters next year. That is invaluable. When you have a guy like Greg Shano, that you want to talk about a culture-establishing team? You have 20 starters in your second year. This is it. If those are the kind of guys, if you can get those 20 starters to really buy into this culture you have, I mean, shit, four is not that crazy of an over-under to have. And if you win five or six games, all of a sudden Rutgers is being looked at as a reasonable and a legitimate team in the Big Ten. Who knows what that can do for you on the recruiting surface. Rutgers, there's a lot to be excited about, especially after how dark the past was for that period of time. 
Keep your eyes open for that, Rutgers fans. You, you might have something to look forward to. Now we're going to go over to Maryland Terrapins. They went 2-3 and three last year, played the fewest games out of everybody in the entire Big Ten. A lot of cancellations there. They got bombed by Northwestern to start the year, but then they came back with a big win at Minnesota. Won that game in overtime. I want to say they were down three or four scores in that. Hayden, I was up there, ironically, in Northwest Ohio, watching that game with you. They had three games canceled to COVID, like I was saying earlier. They lose to Rutgers to finish the year, but this year you have a game to start it off against West Virginia at home. This is the same Maryland Terrapins program that beat Texas back-to-back in a home-and-home these past couple years. They've had a lot of success against teams like that. Do we think that we're going to see a little bit of an improvement this year at a tag of Iloa in that Maryland offense? Or do you guys think that this is going to be another one of those teams that purely being on the Big Ten East, they're kind of just stuck where there's no way to really elevate their team or elevate their gameplay? I think I'm a little bit higher on Maryland than I am Rutgers and Tongue of Iloa has a lot to do with that, but also, you know, former five-star recruit Rakeem Jarrett, I believe he showed some flashes last year of, you know, really living up to that five-star hype. I'm excited to, to watch Maryland. They're over under set at six. I think I'm going to have to go under though. I just can't push them ahead of Michigan state. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting this year. Uh, you know, even at the bottom of the big 10 East. They play Kent State in the non-conference schedule. And Kent State's offense is actually really, really good. There's a chance that they could get pushed in that game. I'm not necessarily going to call the upset, but there's a chance that they could be pushed. Last year, Kent State only played four games, and they have a ton of dudes coming back. But they scored 62 against Bowling Green and 69 against Akron. So, like, they're putting up huge numbers. That goes along with they, they scored 41 against Buffalo. So that offense, I think, could be a real problem for Maryland. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not calling the upset, but I think that they could make that game a little interesting. Yeah, that's a great point, Hayden. And two other kind of personnel notes that I forgot about. They do lose their, their leading rusher in Jake Funk from a year ago. The only Maryland running back that I have ingrained in my head is the dude. McFarlane. Anthony McFarlane. Dude ran for like 300 yards against Ohio State, and like there was probably three 70-yard touchdowns. That dude's engraved in my head, and he'll be up yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah. They do return 19 starters, eight on offense, nine on defense, and their punter and kicker. And they do bring Whoa. in five. Whoa. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, he just messaged. <laughs> you guys can't see. He's gone from the the screen. I'm assuming he's using the facilities. He just he just messaged me and said, "Better be bringing that up." <laughs> I'm assuming he was talking about Anthony McFarland. I would only imagine. I don't know how he can hear us, but <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Anyway, going back to what I was talking about, they do have a five star linebacker coming in in the recruiting class, Terrence Lewis. They had a little decent. Recruiting class with 22 commits last year, and then he's obviously the headliner. It's not too often that a five-star goes to Maryland, although, you know, Rakeem Jarrett was too. But, yeah, I, I think I'm going with the under. Hayden, the over-under six, what are you going with? Oh, man, this is so tough. Um, I'm also going to go under. This team I feel like is so hard to read because they played so few games last year. They were hit with COVID, and maybe not necessarily their team, but, like, the teams that they're playing. 
were hit with COVID so much that to me it's hard to get a read. With that being said, I I think I'll take the the under. This is a team to me that's going to start this season off four and zero. I really do think that this is a Maryland team that can beat West Virginia. We've seen it in years past that they come out the gates hot, they come out of the gates fast. And a team like West Virginia, they've struggled on defense for a long time. They're going to beat a Howard. They're going to beat a Kent State. Illinois game, you should win. And if that happens, you're two games away from a push. Then it gets a little tricky because, wow, what a gauntlet of a schedule down the stretch for this team. Ian, I know that you talked about how Kent State puts up a lot of points. That's one of those you want to put the over bet. I'd love to find out. And we'll talk about that in the week that it happens, too. But I think they do go 4-0 there. Kent State, maybe they keep it close. Who knows? Illinois, I think, even right around there. That's a week following that Virginia game. I think they might have a little bit of a bounce back, too. But imagining the situation of going from that first four games to Iowa, at Ohio State, at Minnesota, home against Indiana, home against Penn State. I mean, my God, that's it. I don't know. Maybe, I hope that you guys are right. I know, Casey, you said you were much higher on them than yeah, Rutgers. it's brutal. It is brutal. Brutal. And who knows? Maybe you steal a game or two at the start of that tough stretch. Maybe the complexion of the season changes. I don't know. I'm probably right there with you. If it's it's not it's not an overlooking schedule, I, I'd say push is probably best case scenario. And I would probably say the under as well. Now let's go to one of the proverbial, at least, front runners in the Big Ten. Let's go to Penn State. Last year, brutal start to the year. They start 0-5 before winning their final four games. Really felt like a tale of two seasons last year. And who knows how different that changes if that Indiana two-point conversion and that game goes a different way. But this year, have a real opportunity to change, I guess, the perplexion of what we've kind of grown to expect of them in the last few years in the Clifford era. They open at Wisconsin before coming back at home in two weeks to play Auburn. What a first couple weeks of the season. You want to talk about Big Ten college football feeling really back? The idea of Penn State starting at Camp Randall just to go back to Beaver Stadium two weeks later to get the Auburn Tigers? I'm pretty excited to watch them. I'll get into it more when we come back to me, but Sean Clifford feels like he is going to decide if this team is a Big Ten threat or if they're a run-of-the-mill, kind of below-average, average team like we saw last year. Over-under is nine. I will have to look at it before it comes back to me. Whichever one of you want to go first, I want to hear your thoughts. Penn State, giant resurgence season or more of the same? I truly believe that Penn State probably has the second most talent in the Big Ten. I really do. But their schedule is tough. I mean, their draw from the West was at Wisconsin and at Iowa. Like you mentioned, Wally, they host Auburn, which is, you know, typically always a really quality team. Man, at Ohio State, they seem to always slip up when they play at Michigan State for some reason. But I, I agree with you too, Wally. I think a lot of it is on Sean Clifford. He needs to play above average to really good for them to be contenders in the in the East, in my opinion. So the over-under was set at nine. I'm going to go under. I'm going to say they get eight. I definitely think that we see some improvement from Penn State. But like Casey's saying, that that schedule is absolutely brutal. And for the and for the total wins to be at nine makes it 
really, really tough for me, especially when you're at Ohio State later in the season. You're at Wisconsin to start the season. And then you still have Indiana and then at Iowa back-to-back in the middle of the season. I, if, I wouldn't be I, surprised if they beat a Wisconsin, any, really any of their four toughest games. I mean, they've shown that they play Ohio State tough every year. Them, Iowa, Indiana, Wisconsin. I would not be surprised if they split those games. I really wouldn't. Yeah, I get it. The problem is you have one, two, three, four, five, six of those games. So if you split those three, you're still only pushing at nine and three. So I, I don't think there's any way that I can take the over. I'm kind of inclined to take a I think I think they push. I really think they get nine, but I don't see them going above that. I'm kind of right in that area as you are, Hayden, where when I look at this, I see nine wins. But I believe that ten is more likely than eight. So if I was gonna bet it, I would be the guy. I'd be the one to say over and I'll tell you why. I do have them losing at Wisconsin and at Ohio State. That's two very difficult places to play regardless. But if I was going to then argue for the over, Auburn has proven in years past they really struggled to get going at the start of seasons. That Oregon game a few years ago, they had no business winning. That's the one that jumps out at me like right away. And that was more of a home game for them down there. I want to say it was at Mercedes-Benz Dome to start the year. This is going to be a true road game. I really think the total wins comes down to the Iowa game. So they play at Iowa. But the problem is it's the week after Indiana. And I am 100% positive that Penn State is going to come out fired up and playing out of their mind after the way the game ended last year. So then you have to win that game when you're all amped up. And they go on the road to Iowa in that kind of environment. I'm sure, I don't know if that's going to be the Big Ten or the Big Noon game or if that's going to be a night game in Iowa. But either way, that just screams letdown to me after playing Indiana with the way they lost last year before. Even a Big Noon game, the way we've seen it in the past too, where it could even, I guess, further give Iowa the advantage too. If you want to talk about a letdown game playing Indiana the week before, it's hard enough to go back-to-back games that fired up, but to go on the road at a place like Kinnick at noon, it really is difficult. I could see that being the, I guess, deciding what fork in the road, like you said. The other one, too, I know that we've seen Michigan really struggle going to Happy Valley, and I know that it's not technically the whiteout, because didn't we say that Auburn was going to, by definition, be the whiteout this year? Yeah, the Michigan game is going to be the student whiteout. And I can remember you even saying a few weeks ago, I still am with you. So it's two whiteouts because the student body is going to be smart enough to realize that Michigan game should be a whiteout as well. I just don't think that I'm willing to give up on Michigan. I don't know if it's the Buckeye fan in me that is hung up on their past and what they have talent wise on that team. But I could see them beating Penn State there. I think those are, I guess, the two biggest games, Iowa and Michigan at home. But I would say split or push, I guess, is the better way to say it, or the over. But Penn State, man, Casey, you said it. I really do think Ohio State gets it done at home this year. They typically do. But we know how hard they play the Buckeyes. And if they get the win there, 
there's no reason to believe that they can't not only win the East, but win the Big Ten. And then who knows, you might be looking at the Nittany Lions in the playoff. I went very conservative with my eight, just because that schedule is r- really, really tough. Probably the toughest in the Big Ten. and One of the toughest in the Big Ten, in my opinion. But it also would not surprise me if Penn State won the Big Ten this year. I know that's kind of a wide spectrum, but I think they're that talented. And they're the team that plays Ohio State the toughest, so they have the best shot of knocking them off, in my opinion. I think it all comes down to how much – I mean, we've already said it. How much confidence you have in Sean Clifford. Do you think that he is the Penn State quarterback that's going to lead them into Columbus and get a win in Columbus? I don't see it. I haven't seen it from him really. but I if he takes that step forward, yeah. If he can stay, if he can take that step forward, he's ex- you're right. He is experienced. Take that extra step. Maybe he does. Maybe maybe this is the you know the Penn State team that'll get it done. I don't know. One thing I'll say, last thing for me, anyways, on the Clifford note, in the five games, first five games this year, in the losses, he had eleven touchdowns thrown to eight interceptions. In the four wins, he only had five touchdowns, but he only turned the ball over once. And that, to me, is going to be a huge thing for him because with how much talent is on that team, both sides of the ball, you don't have to be a world beater if you're Sean Clifford. You just have to make sure that you keep yourself in games because when you play at Columbus with how talented Ohio State is, I don't think any of us are disputing Ohio State is more talented. But if Sean Clifford can protect the ball, the Penn State defense is talented enough to make that a game that Sean Clifford can leave that team to a win. And if that point too, they'll beat probably anybody outside of the top couple teams in the Big Ten West. And I'm not saying they won't beat them. I'm just saying they would no matter what. And then at that point, you're looking at a playoff team that deservingly so could compete with anybody outside of the Clemsons, Alabama, and probably Oklahoma this year in the country. Let's start with the team that Penn State lost to on that two-point conversion to start last year now. Indiana. They went 6-1 and one in the regular season last year. They lost their bowl game, so ended up 6-2 and two overall. To me, last season really turned into a season of what-ifs for the Hoosiers. What if IU played a full 60 minutes at Ohio State? What if Penix Jr. never got hurt? What if the Big Ten stuck with their initial rule of six games for a Big Ten championship criteria? Brutal time for them to have probably the season of of their seasons, realistically. Coming off a great season like that, you have an opener at Iowa. That feels like a game that, for both teams, is very important. Do you think the Hoosiers could put themselves, force their way into that Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan discussion at the Big Ten East again this year? Or do you think that they have to hold on to that 2020 season for a long time now? I think they'll hold on to the 2020 season for a long time just because of how really good that offense and defense was. In in my opinion, I mean, they have 18 returning starters coming back from a team that we all can agree was really pretty dang good, Um, including Michael Penix Jr. and Ty Freifogel. And then also adding in former five-star running back from USC, Stephen Carr. I, it, it's hard. They had a lot of coaching turnover, right? They lost their defensive coordinator, Cade Warmack, who I thought w- did a brilliant job of really making it difficult for teams to 
know what they're doing. And, and when you don't have the talent, like the Ohio state, Penn States, even Michigan, you know, that's the stuff that you have to do. And I think losing him is a big loss, which is why they might take a step back. But I could also see this team getting to eight or nine wins. They're going to have to prove it. You know, the first three weeks of the season, they play at Iowa and then they host a really good 10 Cincinnati team. So they're going to have their opportunities to prove it. With the over under being at seven and a half, I think I'm going to go with the over. I think they get to, I think they get to eight wins this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with Casey here. I, I would take the over of seven and a half, but even at an eight and four, I think that's a little bit of a step back from where they were last year. I think the, like Wally kind of mentioned, they'll have to hold on to that season uh, for a while because it was pretty special, but we don't know how Penix Jr. is if he's going to be back to where he was pre-injury. Uh, hopefully for all Big Ten fans, really, that he is. But if, if he's not back to where he was, that changes their whole complexion of the season. So I would go the over. A little bit of a step back, though. One of the games that we haven't even talked about really their schedule this year but you start the year at Iowa for the opener. I know that I referenced it real briefly when I was coming on. From a fun perspective, first of all, how awesome of a start of the year is that? Because that's going to be our first week one Saturday, and what a great matchup to start the year off with that. But two weeks later, a game, or a week, you know, week three, typically it's a lot of the times when you're going to have the Ohio State Akrons, the Alabama Chattanooga those terrible non-conference games. It feels kind of like a wasted week. This year we have Indiana is going to be hosting the Cincinnati Bearcats. That to me is a game that the, I guess people that aren't in this part of the country aren't going to pay that much attention to, which is a shame because the talent that is going to be in that game, it's a top 25 matchup. And it's just the fact that Cincinnati and Indiana are not those brands. You probably won't hear about it as much, but for the people that listen to us and for the three of us itself, that to me, I think it's one of the games I'm most looking forward to in this season because it does tell a lot about Indiana going into the Big Ten schedule. It also tells us a lot about Cincinnati, and I know that they're not the Big Ten, but it's hard not to keep an eye on them when they are in the area, and Luke Fickle has had his name drawn around with a few Big Ten teams. I don't know. I, I think I probably will also take the over just barely, but it's going to be seven or eight wins, I'd say. Fry Fogel back being is great, but Penix Jr., we really need to see a full season out of him, and hopefully we get it too, because I don't think he's probably got that Sunday experience, at least in that position, so we really should enjoy this upcoming year with Michael Penix Jr. And then, of course, our last team today is the team that Indiana lost to in the regular season. Ohio State. If you listen to us regularly, you would know that Hayden and I are diehard Buckeye fans. Casey's done a real good job turning into at least a very, what, respectable Ohio State observer as he is a an alumni. Uh, al- I was going to say alumni. Still, I got my sticker yeah, right here. You like us. You love us. But there's a bit of you that still loves Michigan. And we just got to keep that in the back of our head the entire time. But this Buckeye team, you all know, they went 5-0 and in the regular season. They won the Big Ten title game and then beat Clemson in that playoff game before really getting bullied by Alabama in the national championship game. And 
again, I'm a Buckeye fan, so I feel like it's it's not fair, but I'm going to give the Buckeyes a little bit of a pass just because that Alabama team was one of the best teams we've seen in, I think, our lifetime. As far as national championship teams, that team was so deep, it's a shame we didn't get to see a couple more games than them. The SEC did play more. But anyways, for Ohio State, the over-under is set at 11. I would be stunned if the under hits. I'll just come out and say it. I think that I teased the Ohio State-Wisconsin game earlier. I think you're going to see two 12-0 teams match up in that Big Ten championship game. Buckeyes are minus 240 for a Big Ten title and plus 600 for a national championship. Casey, we'll go to you first before we go back to our diehard Homer Buckeye fan in Hayden Ramsey here. Casey, what is your thoughts going in on this year? The quarterback situation really does have things up in the air. What are your thoughts? I think for a while now we kind of have known who Ohio State's starting quarterback is going to be. They're going to go with C.J. Stroud. And not that I really think it matters who's back there. I just think he adds an extra element to the to the offense with his running capabilities. The Buckeyes had the second least returning starters coming back in the Big Ten, but they also do recruit way better than everybody else in the Big Ten. So you could you could look at it from two ways. You could okay, they recruit better than everybody, they'll just fill right in. Or you can look at it from the perspective of they're breaking a new quarterback in and they gotta replace a bunch of guys. Either way, I I think that I had this team pushing the eleven win total. I do have them slipping up a couple games that come to mind. Oregon, obviously, is the big one. And then at Indiana, is going to be tough, especially with fans. And then Penn State are really the only three games that I see any threat to Ohio State this year. You got to think that they're going to lose one of them. They are very talented, but I, I think it's very also very, very hard to go undefeated in a season in general. So I do have them slipping up one game. Not sure really which game it would be I think Oregon makes the most sense. It's only the second game Stroud start in. That'll be the toughest test on the field, in my opinion. But I, I got the, you know they were blessed with a another easy round from the West. I mean they got Purdue and Nebraska, and then I do think that Minnesota game is going to be tough. But I mean you really couldn't pick three easier teams from the West unless you threw Illinois in there, really. But yeah, I got this. I mean Ohio State's going to be Ohio State. They're going to go eleven and one and make it to the Big Ten Championship. Hayden, let's hear from you. Buckeye Homer himself, what do you got on the Buckeyes this year? I I, I really wanted to come out and be bold, and not really that bold, and say they're going to go 12-0. But I do think they lose a game. I don't know where it is on the schedule, because you can look at their schedule, and they will be favored in every single game Probably by double digits. It was. I don't... It's double digits. So we a few weeks ago, I think Oregon was at nine and a half. It's been bumped to ten. That was the lowest that was until now. Yeah, right. So they're going to be favored in every game by double digits. So it makes it really, really hard to pick a, a specific game that they're going to lose. With that being said, I do, I do think they lose one. Like Casey said, Oregon makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's early in the year, new quarterback. I actually don't think it's going to be that one. I think it might be a game in conference play, which can be scary. And it leads me to think that they could lose to either Indiana or Penn State, which makes it really scary because 
depending on what those other teams do, that one loss could cost them a chance to play for a Big Ten championship. We've seen it happen before where they lose one conference game and they don't make it to the conference title. That It's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I can't pick who they're going to lose to because like they're, they're favored by double digits, but I think they lose one. I'm going to immediately just ignore what you just said to not do, and I'm going to ask each of you to force me to pick the game they lose, and then I'll finish up with mine, and then we'll go into our final couple questions here and wrap it up. You are going to have your family pushed into an ocean off the Golden Gate Bridge if you don't guess the game right they lose and you can't say none. Who's it going to be? Casey, you first. At Indiana. Hayden. I am not going to go with Indiana. I think if they lose a game, it will be home against Penn State. But I don't think it's likely. I, I, it's so. It's so. I don't. It's so hard to articulate what I'm thinking. I don't think it's likely. But if I had to pick, that's it. I think it's also at Indiana. But here's my thing. I'll say is that there's not a I guess definitive reason for me to pick it. But I have a weird feeling about the Michigan game this year. All I'm going to say, weird feeling. Hey, I, I mean, it makes sense. If Michigan improves the games at Michigan for, you know, two games in a row now, they're obvious, well, I guess hopefully be fans in the stadium. I mean, it makes sense. You know, you, you don't think Michigan's going to be down this year. And historically, Michigan has derailed Ohio State seasons where they look like they're one of the best teams in the nation and you know Michigan might have an eight and three, eight and four record, and, and upset the Buckeyes. So I I understand what you're saying there with that. It, it, I don't, I'm glad you actually get what I'm saying, Casey, because I'm not saying like I wasn't alive, so it's not fair for me to say it feels the same. But I don't know. It's got a six John Cooper era. I was gonna say I was thinking sixty nine even, where the Buckeyes are loaded. Everywhere except, I guess, the quarterback position, you have question marks on the defensive side of the ball, uh, not necessarily in the front four, but you have question marks, but it should be a very, very good Buckeyes team, and it just goes to me about that quarterback position, and it just like in 69, Michigan was a very competent team, and then Buckeyes went in there, ranked very highly, and I mean, Woody Hayes joked about it all the time that was the best Buckeye team he ever had and Michigan beat him I think it was 24 to 12 in 69 anyways that was my guess so we have it so I have Ohio State beating Wisconsin the Big Ten championship Hayden we'll go to you next you also have the same matchup I I want to I want to touch on Ohio State real quick um, oh please because do we, yeah please do we did we did just kind of fly through it because we do have high expectations but this team this team is not flawless by any means they have to improve their secondary. They have a lot of new faces in the secondary and at the linebacking core. I know they have talent, but they, you know, it's not like they didn't have talent last year and their defense was subpar. So they do have improvements to do to obviously compete at the national level and beat the Alabamas. So, and, and that's another reason why I could see them slipping up one, one game this year because they do have you know, some flaws in some spots. Yeah, no, I, I want to point out that we've been talking about Ohio State for so much in the last few weeks. That was the reason why I was kind of forcing it through because typically you'll know where at least Hayden and I stand. Casey, it's a very good point, though, because there are 
I mean, this defense is for the last two or three years, or two of three, I should say, with the exception of the Chase Young 2019 campaign. Defense is not up to what Ohio State is used to, and we just have to, as Buckeye fans, really hope that they at least bridge that gap a little bit because you are not going to win a national title with the defense you had in 18 or 20. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, Wally. Do you think Zach Harrison takes a big step forward? There's been a lot of talk about him this offseason and through camp so far that he's he's really taking that step. Not to the you know Chase Young level or maybe even the Bosa level, but taking a step forward from his play the last couple of years. Also, I mean, if I had to put a total on sacks and I said seven and a half, what are you taking? First off, I, I think it's time for Zach Harrison to – when Ohio State gets five-star defensive ends – they typically start coming onto the scene, if not their freshman, their sophomore years. And we didn't really see that from Zach Harrison last year. And the good part about Ohio State recruiting at such a high level is that the guys behind him, JTT and Jack Sawyer, are, in my opinion, ready to play right now. We saw Jack Sawyer in the spring game look amazing. So if he's not producing, I think that opens the door for one of the other five-star defensive ends that they have. With that being said, putting the sack total at over under at seven and a half, I think I'm going to go under because I think they're going to have a nice rotation. They're going to get JTT, Jack Sawyer in there with Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith and um, Baptiste. I'm blanking on his name right now. Javante Jean. Yeah, yeah. I think he's going to have a significant role. I've been hearing a lot of good things about him. I've heard a lot of the same things I've heard about Zach Harrison is that he looks the part. And typically, when you look the part at Ohio State, you produce. Chase Young looked the part. So, seven and a half, I'll I'll go under just because I think they're going to have, not that they're not going to have a monster defensive line, but I think it's going to be more spread across. I'm going to go with the over, and here's my reasoning why. It's similar to Casey's reason why for the under, which is why it's funny. But I think because of a couple of those early season games, I know Minnesota, it's not the... I guess, uh, what, the the non-conference game I'm talking about. But you have Tulsa and Akron back-to-back. I think with the absence of Tyler Friday, you are going to see guys like Zach Harrison that are on the field longer than they would probably typically be. And I think you're going to see in that two-game stretch, the Tulsa-Akron stretch, you could see him with four sacks. And that's going to drastically bring that over-under down. I mean, you're only looking at three and a half more through the course of the year. If that was to happen, so for me, I'm going to take the over because of that. But similar to what he was saying, I think that Jack Sawyer and JTT, because of that injury last week, you heard us talk two weeks ago on the Friday injury, I think you are going to see more of a rotation on that, I guess, front four. And that is the only reason I could see the under happening. But yeah, Zach Harrison, it's got to happen this year. We've been waiting for a while. It needs to be now. And I know I was starting to talk about this earlier, but I just want to real quickly say it. I have Ohio State at 12-0, beating the 12-0 Wisconsin Badgers in the Big Ten Championship game. Hayden, I know you have the exact same, at least, format. So you have Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Who do you have winning that game? And then we'll go to Casey for his Ohio State-Iowa matchup. Yeah, I have Ohio State versus Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Part 1 million... 
I feel like every time Ohio State plays Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, it's like the same. It's it's like, it's like the same game. Wisconsin usually plays them tough, but eventually Ohio State's speed and athleticism takes over, and they and they pull away a little later. So yeah, I Ohio State over Wisconsin. Uh, Ohio State would be eleven and one, finishing twelve and one. Wisconsin. I don't. I'm I'm not gonna really put a record on them. Because I don't think it really matters. I think they'll probably win 10, 10 or 11 games. But Ohio State winning it. Casey, what's yours? Iowa, Ohio State, Big Ten Championship matchup. Yeah, I think Iowa revenges its 2015 loss to Michigan State and, and wins the Big Ten. Get um, out of ulti- here. Ultimately eliminating the Big Ten from the playoff this year. I don't think the the Big Ten gets a playoff team this year. That'll put Ohio State at 11-2. and two. Then I think I had Iowa at what ten and two or nine and three, something like that. I think I went ten and two. That's um, a good call though. That's fun. We'll, we'll remember but yeah, that you know, I, hey, I got to stick with my Hawkeyes. I'm not as confident after reviewing their schedule, but I, I'm I'm rolling with the Hawkeyes, man. Okay, well we'll keep that in mind here as the season progresses. So I'll make sure I put a little tally out there so we can keep track. Now, we'll go to our couple real quick. We have two more questions, and then we're going to wrap up for you guys because this has been a long one. The Heisman. We're doing award projections. I'll read the top 10 of the Heisman list right now, at least according to FanDuel. Let us know who your pick is. If you have any Big Ten dark horses, also feel free to throw it out there. In order, Spencer Rattler at plus 550. DJ, you a that Did I say that right? I hope so. Plus 600. Bryce Young, plus 800. CJ Stroud, plus 1,000. JT Daniels, plus 1,200. Sam Howell, plus 1,700. Matt Corral. Is that Corral? Corral? I never know how. It's fine. It's going to be 2,000. We're going to call it either way. Casey, you want to help me out? It looks like you're ready to jump in for it. Yeah, DJ Uyunglele. And then Matt Corral. Perfect. This is why I love you. This is perfect. This is the three of us working together. Next one is B. John Robinson. Oh, you skipped Eric King. Come on. Come on. You're better than that. Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. But yeah, I I, I got both of them at plus 2,000. So that's both for Eric King and B. John Robinson. And then, of course, the last one, 10th. Kedon? Is it Kedon? Slovis? Keaton. Keaton Slovis. Dude, they, they need to just go back to Jeff's, Matt's, Eric's. But yeah, he's plus 2,500. I'll give you mine quick because it really is quick. Bryce Young, Heisman Trophy winner. Big 10 Dark Horses? No, none of them. <laughs> All right, I, I'm going to go with DJ Uyunglele. Um, I think he's going to put up massive numbers for Clemson this year. But I actually do have a couple Dark Horses from the Big 10. One being Michael Penix of Indiana. We saw that he had a really good year last year. And if he gets up to that completion percentage that he had in 2019 and you combine those two seasons, I think he's got a shot if if they get Indiana to that 10-11 win total, which obviously depends on his play. And then Mo Ibrahim of Minnesota. I am pretty high on, relatively high on Minnesota this year, and I think he's the bell cow for them. I think he's going to get close to 2,000 yards if he gets uh, if he remains healthy. And, you know, if Minnesota gets to 9 or 10 wins, that, that might get him some Heisman consideration. But ultimately, I don't think anybody from the Big Ten wins the Heisman with all these quarterbacks that are coming back. 
Yeah, I'm not going with Clemson's quarterback because I cannot pronounce that name like Casey can. I'm going to go with Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. Oklahoma's quarterbacks always put up ungodly numbers, so I think that's a, a safer pick. I do think Sam Howell from North Carolina can put up some big numbers this year. I don't know if I would consider him a dark horse since he's listed on our list, but at plus 1,700, I think if he throws some cash on that, you know, you, you might get a little a little good news from that. I think he'll put up really good numbers. So, And North Carolina should be decent this year. I mean, they should probably win double-digit games in the ACC. I guess I'm complimenting Casey, even though I'm going back to you, Hayden. But you were right. Casey's pronunciation of DJ Yula Lele or however you are able to do it. That was impressive. But we're going to go into our last question real quick. And I don't, we don't have odds because a lot of the places don't have odds for individual conference coach of the year. However, we wanted to ask who you think the Big Ten coach of the year will be. Again, mine's simple. If Wisconsin goes 12-0 in the regular season, it's Paul Christ. So Paul Christ will be the Big Ten coach of the year in my eyes. Whichever one of you wants to go next, who's yours? I'm going with Casey's team. I'm going with Kirk Ferentz. Even though I think they do uh, slip up at Wisconsin, I still think that Iowa puts together a good enough year that Kirk Ferentz will get some recognition for that. Plus, it feels like he always wins one like every like four years or so, and he hasn't won one since 2015, so I feel like he's definitely due to get that back. Yeah, that's another reason why I'm kind of high on Iowa this year is because typically you're right. They, you know, every four to five years, they surprise us a little bit. And that's why I'm rolling with Kirk Ferentz too. Staying with my, my Hawkeyes um, again. Yeah, I got Ferentz. All, all your eggs in that basket. I love it. Well, I, I, I guess so. Yeah. But we're not talking offensive player of the year or anything yet. So. We're we're no, talking big ten. We're, <laughs> we're talking Big Ten champion. We're talking coach of the year. We're talking. I mean, that's that's everything. It, though, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I feel like if Iowa wins the Big Ten championship, I I think it's pretty dang easy that it's going to be Kirk Ferentz. If Iowa wins the Big Ten championship, there's a good chance they sweep a lot of the awards. That's not like a knock on Iowa. It's just that's how it happens for some of these programs, but. If you guys have ideas for things like offensive or defensive player of the year, we'll talk about it during this week, maybe for week zero, because we're going to need some stuff. We can add in a few more award predictions from us, kind of a little bonus section. But otherwise, guys, that's the season preview. Anything else you want to say before I wrap us up? Oh, no, that, that was fun. That was definitely long, but had a lot of fun. It felt good actually talking about actual football stuff and like we're so close to the season and we're not talking like Wally said about Big Ten offensive linemen getting sponsored by the local barbecue joint or something but yeah it feels it feels good we're back we really are back it's nine days away from when we're recording this by the time that you guys hear it it's either going to be seven or eight days away but that just means we're a week away from college football it's time to be really excited as Big Ten fans But that's going to bring us to the end of our season preview episode of Pigskins and Nylon. That's episode 16. We'll be back next week on August 27th. We will look ahead to week zero, where the Illinois Fighting Illini will host the Cornhuskers of Nebraska at Champaign, Illinois, which is a big deal. Greatest place on earth. We all talk about it, which means we really are back, guys. Make sure you submit your Ask CHW questions 
Who knows when we'll get to them, hopefully during the season. If we have a couple like boring weeks, we'll throw one in here and there. But you do that by tweeting at us at the hashtag AskCHW. We also accept those questions tagged to us on Facebook or Instagram. Make sure to give us a follow on their Twitter at P&NPod, Facebook at P&NPod, Instagram at P&NPod. But otherwise, guys, that's the end of our season preview episode. I got nothing left for anybody. If you guys got anything, we'll leave it with that. Next week, a lot of Nebraska and Illinois talk. I have a final thought, and Casey's going to absolutely hate me, and I'm so Uh happy. My Atlanta Braves are the hottest team in baseball. Hottest team in baseball. The Phillies have lost four in a row. The Mets, the Mets are just tanking. I don't know what they're tanking for, but they're tanking. The Braves, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they have a four-game lead in the NL East. Four games. It feels like last week they were two and a half back, and all of a sudden they have a four-game lead. Let's go. Yeah, crazy how fast it seemed like that division just flipped. But yeah, the the Mets are terrible. Their injuries this season finally caught up to them a little bit. And I I don't even look at the box scores anymore. I'm done with that. But anyway, my final thought was, Hayden, good luck to you tomorrow. Your first game as defensive coordinator. I wish you all the best and hope that you can lead the K to their first win of the year. Big game tomorrow, heading over to the great village of dola if you have never been to dola you're not really missing much but i hear they like to they like to drink if you didn't (laughs) (laughs) i hear they like to drink beer over there so maybe you can go over there for that good luck to both of you guys it's a lot of fun to hear about your guys's high school seasons as they happen and whether they're small schools or not you guys do a terrific job and we're excited to see where you guys go thanks dude thanks brother i got you guys but yeah make sure you're back episode 17 next week and each episode from here on out we're this is what we're about guys we joined this we wanted this for this moment we joined in what april or march nobody whatever it was we're all doing this for this moment so stay tuned big things coming but again good luck to you guys and it's huskers in a lion eye week fellas we'll see you next week